in this, but it's good. We, we mentioned it was going to be at least a couple weeks, and I believe, Lord willing, we're going to finish that series today as we look at a title called A Trial of Love, A Trial of Love. And next week, like I said, we'll do something a little bit different, a little bit shorter, but A Trial of Love. We've done now five weeks, I believe. This is our fifth week into, no, it's, it's seven, actually, because we doubled up. We did two, two, one, one, one. So this is actually week number seven of our look into following the master. And we've, we've talked about a lot of different things. And we're going to do this one today a little bit differently as well. It's not going to be our normal sermon. And I've sort of asked you guys to help me with this today. I've handed out some pieces of paper with some scripture on it. And I made sure that you weren't too nervous to do that. But what I want you to do is when it's time, and I'll let you know when it's time, I simply want you to read the scripture from your seat. You don't have to stand up. Just elevate your voice a little bit. Make sure we can all hear you. And you'll understand what we're doing when we get to that point. But uh, thank you for doing that. But a trial of love is what we're going to talk about today. Did you ever see something you can't believe? Did you ever see something that was beyond your comprehension? Any UFO sites out there? No, just making sure. Uh, the other day, Luke, you're going to help me with the pictures here. The other day, I was driving out of my driveway, and I just had to stop and take a picture because I don't know if you guys have ever been there when you see something you can't believe. But as I was driving out of my driveway, I stopped on my brakes, I grabbed my camera, and I said, I have to take a picture of this because look how small my mailbox is. Look at that. I didn't realize till that day how small my mailbox was. Stop making me laugh. This is serious. And uh, I knew you guys wouldn't believe me, so I knew I had to take a picture of it. So I put my fingers up just to show you how small it was. And then I started to wonder, well, how did they get mail in there? How do they put mail into that tiny mailbox? And I was just stunned, thinking, I don't know what I, if I believe what I'm seeing, but I got it on camera because I knew you guys wouldn't believe it. So as I'm driving to work, because I was driving here, I was driving to work, I just started to think about, man, maybe there's other things. Maybe there's other things around me that are similar like that, where I don't really notice them and they're tinier. Maybe I'm surrounded by tiny things. So when I got to the church building, I started to look around just to make sure that wasn't the last one and you wouldn't believe what I saw. Look at the TV. It was the same kind of thing. I looked at the TV and said, is it really that small? And once again, I held my fingers up to it, and it was. And then I started to ask questions like, how can we even see that? Look how small that screen is. Is anyone else amazed by this? You're all amazed, right? Next slide, Luke. There's more. Look at TGD's tiny guitar. Do you believe that? TGD, I don't know how you play that thing, but that guitar is really, really tiny. In fact, I think one of your fingers would just take over the entire guitar, right? Look how small it is. Uh, find the one with my pulpit on there, uh, Luke. I don't know if it's before or after. Look at, okay, okay, we're going too fast. Look at that pulpit, guys. It's the same thing. You see how small that pulpit is? I mean, I must tower over that thing right now. In fact, I'm not sure how this stuff fits on top of it because that's, that pulpit is so, so tiny. Keep going, Luke. Look at the door. Look at the door that we walked in here. How did we fit through? Now, I love you guys, but we're all too big for that door. All of us. This is like a Willy Wonka thing going on here. I don't know how we walked through that door. And I took a picture going, that's amazing. I can't believe it's that small. Look, I think there's one more with the tables. There we go. Um, the tables that you're sitting at right now are as small as Frisbees. And I had to take a picture of it. And in fact, I started throwing them around the room. It was fantastic. Because they were so small, I just started launching tables around the room. I didn't realize they were that tiny, and they flew just like Frisbees. Anyways, that was a weird day. 
So I had to take pictures of that because I knew you wouldn't believe me if I didn't capture it. If I would have said, guys, the stuff we're using is miniature, no one would have believed me, but now you believe me, right? And now you're probably thinking, my pastor's a moron. And I can't believe he's going to try to teach us the Bible after that. No, it's a joke. You guys know me, my dad. This is a joke. Did you ever see something incorrect according to a wrong perspective? That's the real question. And Luke, I asked you before, there's a uh, photography term that they use for this kind of thing. What's the term, Luke? Forced perspective. There's a couple I found online, a forced perspective. Hopefully you're not creeped out by those because it's the same kind of thing. The guy holding up the person, dropping him into his mouth is not really happening. And the Starbucks and the ice cream is, it's the same kind of thing. So here's basically the illusion, okay? You're taking some, a picture of something way in the background, and the something in the foreground looks a lot, lot bigger, and therefore it's called forced perspective. And the reason I bring this up is because this is an illusion, if you can't tell by now. Forced perspective is an illusion. It's a camera trick, maybe even a deception. And we're going to talk about something kind of like that today as we look at a trial of love, a trial of love. I don't know if you like courtroom movies or documentaries, but I do. I, I think those are interesting. Anytime I can watch a documentary on like a courtroom setting, aren't those, aren't those nice to watch? So I was watching one the other day of a pretty famous courtroom trial. And honestly, I got inspired by it. And this is where this sermon came from today, is I was inspired by the courtroom scene because it's always been interesting to me about lawyers and how they set up the courtroom and things like that. And so you guys are going to play a little part today, okay? It's not overtly acting, but I want, I want everyone to play a part today, okay? I'm going to be a part and you're going to be a part, and I'll tell you in a minute who you're going to be. But we're going to sort of set this sermon up today like it's a trial. And we're doing this in an effort to do something, okay? We have a goal through this. Our effort is to conclude our series on following the Master and gaining the proper perspective we need because I'm wondering if some of us have fallen for the devil's forced perspective. If some of us have fallen for the illusion and the deception by the devil, that's not reality. And if we look at it clearly, if we look at it from Scripture, it will change our perspective. We will see the person we're going to look at today in a better, more real sense and we will line up behind him and say, I want to follow that master. So today we're going to do something very interesting, and we'll probably never do it again. But we're going to put the Lord Jesus on trial today. And this is the question, or this is the potential crime we're going to charge Jesus with for requiring too much love, too much service, and too much devotion from his people. For being too strict. We're going to put Jesus on trial today for requiring too much from his people. We're here to either prove that the Lord is guilty of being too strict, and therefore we should loosen the requirements to be a Christian, or he's innocent, and everything he requires is exactly what is expected of someone who calls themselves a Christian. And I'm going to be the defense attorney today. I'm going to defend the Lord. I'm a pastor. What else would I do? Okay, I want you to stay with me. I know this sounds a little weird, but I want you to stay with me today, okay? I'm going to be the defense attorney, and you all are going to play the part of the jury, okay? And I'm going to speak to you, in a sense, like you're the jury today, having our Lord Jesus on trial for being too strict, for requiring too much devotion from his people. 
If you've ever watched one of these courtroom settings, they start with what's called opening statements. Have you seen that, where the attorney will get up and he'll give his opening, opening statements, and he's basically showing you where this trial is going to go, what to expect a little bit. And so I'm, I'm going to start with opening statements today, and I want you to do this to begin. I want you to picture a really bad person, a really bad person, okay? Picture the worst person you can think of. This person can be male or female, any ethnicity, any size and shape that you want, but I want you to picture an evil person, evil to the core, they are narcissistic, which means they think only about what they want and they completely disregard the needs of those around them. That's what a narcissistic is. This person has evil thoughts continually. And eventually those evil thoughts make their way into their actions. It's a bad person. This is a bad person, okay? This person says they love the Lord, but their secret lives give them away. They say, I love the Lord, I love God, but if you would watch their lifestyle, their lifestyle would be different. This person rarely considers the needs of those around them. If you would examine this person closely, they would look like the epitome of evil. They desire evil, they think about evil, they plan to do evil, and they repeat it. They desire evil, they plan evil, and they repeat it every single day. But... This person is unaware of how evil they are. They practice evil, they drink down sin like it's water, but they live in an evil land where sin runs rampant. And because of that, they compare themselves to others in the evil land. And when they compare themselves to others in that evil land, they look like everybody else. In fact, they look a little better than everybody else. We all like to play the comparison game, don't we? We all like doing that. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, we can always find someone worse than us. And that makes us feel better about ourselves. You ever do that? Like growing up, I did this all the time. I can't believe what that guy is wearing to church. I would never wear that to church. Look how nice I'm dressed today. Therefore, I must be better. I can't believe that person said that. I can't believe she would say that. I would never say anything like that. And do you notice how easy that is? How easy it is to find someone and compare yourself to them and suddenly you feel a little bit, little bit better about yourself? Well, that's exactly what this person is doing. They're comparing themselves to others in the evil land, and by doing so, they come out pretty good. So this person doesn't consider themselves evil at all. In fact, this person has a religious upbringing. They have biblical understanding. They have learned about God since they were little. They even go to church regularly, and to worship God and to learn more about him. And this further strengthens the argument that this person is not evil. They're good. They practice Christian things. No one evil has ever gone to church, right? No one evil has ever read the Bible, right? So how can they be evil? The secret sinful practices this person enjoys are hidden from everybody. No one knows about it. In the daylight, this person is kind, well-mannered, and religious. But in the darkness, they are evil, truly evil. But this person doesn't think their sin is that sinful because they don't use it to blatantly hurt anybody. They consider themselves less than perfect like we all do, but comparing themselves to others in the evil land, they seem pretty good overall. 
And remember, this person claims to love the Lord. They do the necessary religious things to prove to themselves, to others, and even God that they love the Lord. So you team their outward religion with their hidden secret sins that nobody knows about, and this person thinks they're pretty good based on that. That is every person except one person. The Lord himself. Because the Lord knows our hearts. And he sees everything. He doesn't see the masks, and I don't mean these masks. He doesn't see the masks that we wear. He sees the heart and he sees everything we do and everything we say. See, the Lord who created this person, he knows who they really are. The Lord most definitely did not create this person evil. God did not create anyone evil, but good and righteous and holy. So this person chose evil. They chose to do evil instead of staying faithful to the Lord. And now this person has become everything that God hates. And if it wasn't bad enough, this person is calling themselves Christian and pretty good. And they're fooling others into thinking that they love the Lord and they're quite religious. They live their lives in confidence that they love the Lord and one day they're going to go to heaven to be with him forever. All while they practice the things that God says he detests. They're living for evil. So the question to start off with is, what was the Lord to do with someone like this? What should the Lord do with this type of person? What would you do with this type of person? This is what's called a dilemma. The Lord had a dilemma. A really hard dilemma. If God had condemned this person on Judgment Day like they deserve, this person was going to be shocked. Because they considered themselves pretty good. And everyone who knew this person thinks they're pretty good. They would have been shocked as well to discover that God considered them evil. Plus, the Lord would have to be separated from someone he created that he truly loves, which he does. But this person is evil, and that person hurts people that God loves every single day of their lives. Should the Lord allow this to continue? Should he not condemn this person? Don't they deserve condemnation? But after considering it, the Lord decided that he had one play besides condemning this person forever. He could fix them. He could fix them by revealing to them how evil they are and by saving them from that evil. But you see, this plan to fix them is going to be incredibly costly for God. Incredibly costly. More than any of us are ever willing to spend on anything. God would have to spend more than that to fix this person. He was going to have to come to the earth and die on a wooden cross for the sinful choices that this person makes every single day. This plan is almost too hard and costly to even consider. Especially for God who hates evil and loves righteousness. Why would he die for an evil person? Why? See, but the Lord created this person and he genuinely did not want to condemn them forever. And also the Lord is love. And he considers love to be the most honorable pursuit. So because of all that, the Lord made the incredibly difficult choice to come to this earth and die for this evil person. And he did die. 
the Lord of all creation, hung on a wooden cross willingly for the sinful choices that this evil person makes every single day of their lives. But thanks to his payment, this evil person can now be saved, healed, and forgiven from their sins and completely made new, and, f- and it's all free of charge. And now God doesn't not only have to condemn this person, they can find eternal life with God because of his great gift of grace. And now we look at the potential crime, okay? Here's the potential crime, the question we want to figure out today. Did you ever think you were getting a raw deal? My birthday uh, is December 29th, and I hated my birthday every, every single year growing up, didn't I? I hated my birthday. They're still, they're still hearing about it. Because my birthday, although it sounds kind of cool to have your birthday right around Christmas, you know what happens from December 30th to December 28th? Nothing. You get no recognition and no presents and no love and play the violin serious. That's how I felt. I thought I was getting a raw deal. My daughter now, Adelaide, is in the same position I'm finding out. Her birthday is August 16th, and, uh, excuse me, January 16th, and now she has to watch all of these birthdays, one after another after another, and she gets to watch other people open presents. And I keep reminding her, Adelaide, yours is coming. When yours comes, they won't get presents, and you will. It's coming. Did you ever think you were getting a raw deal? Well, the question we want to figure out today, the potential crime is requiring total and complete devotion a fair and just requirement for saving someone from eternal condemnation? That's the question we want to figure out. That's the crime, potentially. Is requiring total and complete devotion a fair and just requirement for saving someone from eternal condemnation? Or... Should the requirements be loosened and the Lord let the once evil person give any sort of love to him that they think is best? While they still receive forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life from the Lord. In other words, is the Lord Jesus guilty of requiring too much devotion? Is this a bad deal? Is this a bad deal that the Lord is requiring of us? If we loosened the requirements to be a Christian, follow my train of logic. Wouldn't we get a lot more Christians? If we loosened the requirements and said, this is all you need to do, just come to church whenever you feel comfortable, Uh, just read your Bible occasionally, wouldn't we get a lot more Christians? Of course we would. But you see, I'm the the defense attorney today for the Lord Jesus, okay? My goal to you is to prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that our Lord's requirement of total and complete devotion to him is the only requirement. That is perfectly just and fair according to the sacrifice he made for us. That's my job to convince you all, the jury, that it is totally just and totally fair for the Lord to require everything of us. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. It's an eternal bargain. It's a bargain and a privilege. That's my goal to you to convince you of that today. So let's begin our trial, okay? You've heard the opening statements. Let's begin our trial. I'm going to call to the witness stand. I told you, just bear with me. I'm going to call to the witness stand my first witness, the Apostle Paul, a.k.a. TGD. I'm going to call Paul to the witness stand today. Paul, you're my first witness, okay? So Paul, 
You were the sort of person that I described at the beginning of my opening statements. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were once claiming to be quite a religious and good person while you persecuted the church of Jesus, were you not? And according to the law of God, you stood condemned at judgment day if nothing changed. Isn't this true? And if you hadn't been saved, forgiven, and healed, you would have faced the full strength of God's wrath in a dark, lonely, eternal hell. Would you say that's accurate? And if all of this is true, can you tell us with your own words what you believe to be the fair and just requirement of the Lord for saving you from such a horrible eternity? Yes, and I will rejoice as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Thank you, Paul. And what would you say to those of us today who have also been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So you're saying that total and complete devotion to Jesus is the only just and fair requirement for those awaiting eternal life? For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Thank you, Paul. Is there anything else you would say to support your claim today? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thank you, Paul. You've been very helpful. You can leave the witness stand now. And now I want to call my second and final witness of the day to the stand, and it's the Lord Jesus himself. And how we're going to do this today is everyone who has a slip of paper, we're all going to represent the testimony of our Lord by reading the passages of Scripture. But we'll get there in a minute, okay? Lord Jesus, you are the one who saw fit to die for us on the cross for our sins, making you the perfect person to answer this question today. Is total and complete devotion a just and fair requirement for all you have done for us? 
Perhaps you can show to, the, to us as an example of what you exactly require from your people. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, for for that discovery to what it truly means to love and follow you. My second question is this. What is the reward of following you with complete and total devotion? And this is where I'm going to ask everyone in the room to read their passage when I call your passage of Scripture. We're going to read the testimony of our Lord Jesus, and answer the question, what is the reward of following Jesus with total and complete devotion? So get your little slip of paper ready. Whoever has John 4, 13 to 14, can you read it out loud? Whoever has John 6, 33, 35, would you read that out loud? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 7, 37 to 38, who would read that? John 7, 37 to 38. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Who is John 8.12? I am the life of the world. John 8.31-32, to 32. who is that one? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8.51 Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. John 10.9.27-28 My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. John 11, 25 to 26. Who has that one? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 1 to 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe often in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thank you. 
John 14, 23. Thank you. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants. The servants does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Thank you. And John 16, 1 and 33. I am saying all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Say these things to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have, I have overcome the world. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You've said all and more that we need to understand your truth properly. And now we come to my closing arguments, okay? The evil person we began talking about at the beginning is you and me. We are the ones who claim to be good and religious, but have been driven and motivated by evil all our lives until Jesus came and rescued us. We are the ones who chose sin each and every day with little to no regard for God's will or the loving of our neighbors. We are the ones who deserve eternal condemnation. Hell was made for people like us evil people. But the Lord Jesus did the unthinkable. He came to this earth to shed his blood for us that we might have new eternal life with him. Consider that gift. Instead of destruction and condemnation, we get eternal life with the Lord in his kingdom forever. And the question we have laid to this entire courtroom today is, is it just and fair to require total and complete devotion from those Jesus died for? Is that too strict? Since I'm the defense attorney, I want to suggest to you as we close that this is the only possible and fair requirement. And it's an eternal bargain. And it really is. Anything more then this requirement would require the involvement of our own workings to save ourselves, which is impossible, and would also cheapen the one sufficient sacrifice of our Lord. But anything less than this would prove that Jesus isn't worthy of such love and such devotion, that perhaps his payment by shedding his blood on the cross wasn't an amazing gift of God's grace. God forbid that we ever think that. Jesus dying for you and for I is stunning, shocking love. But before you deliberate in your soul and make your decision about how much Jesus deserves from you, I implore you to consider today where you would be without Jesus. What would be your eternal fate if you, an evil person, stood before a holy God without payment for your sins? What would be your fate if the Lord Jesus himself didn't bleed for your sinful choices? Where would you be and where would you be going? Doesn't Jesus' sacrifice prove to us that we were in a dreadful state? 
If our salvation required that the only Son of God be killed for our sins, doesn't that prove that our fate was one of unthinkable terror? Why else would Jesus, the Son of God, die for me unless something truly awful was headed my way? All this to say today that Jesus is worthy of total and complete devotion for all he's done for us. And I hope you have or will search in your soul and come to the obvious conclusion that Jesus is right. He's right. Everything he says is right. Everything he demands of us is right. He requires all of us. Not a sampling, not a portion. All of us. Only a total and complete devotion to Jesus is what he should expect. Is what he should demand from all those he has died for. And I hope you would say amen to that today. Amen. And if so, then we can make sense of our series on following the Master. Okay? Because we've learned and discovered the beauty and value of Jesus' worth to our soul. Who else would you follow? Who else loves you like Jesus does? We have learned what it means to follow the Master. We have learned at what it looks like to follow Jesus. We have learned to obey what Jesus says. We have learned to do as Jesus would do. And now we have learned to give him our total and complete devotion for better or for worse. Because he deserves it. And the question we have for you, jury, today is this. Do you need to begin following the master with your life? Or possibly recommit yourself to him and get back on the path of giving Jesus everything. What is Jesus worthy of from you? From you, the one he died for. See, he's going to accept either all of you or none of you. Because he's worthy and he demands and deserves all of us. Every part of us. And we're going to take communion together now, okay? And I would suggest and encourage all of you that if you need to get right with the Lord, if you need to make a commitment, if you need to turn to him for the first time, you would do that in this hour, okay? Because that's what communion is about. Communion is about remembering. Communion is about remembering what the Lord has done for us. And we're going to pause and take communion and remember what our Lord Jesus has done. But I want you to think and consider inside what he is worthy of and what you're giving to him and do they match. And if they don't match... Make a commitment today. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for what you did by sending your Son. And Jesus, we are thankful for what you did by coming to this earth to die for evil. People that have hurt you, people that have hurt others, people that have been selfish. Thank you for the cost that you paid for us. And now... When we see you requiring all of us, we're shocked by it sometimes and go, really, is that really what he's asking for? Can I give that to him? And I hope by looking at this today, we would would say the opposite. By looking at the proper perspective, I'd say that is what he deserves. That is what he is worthy of. As we reflect on what you've done for us on the cross today, I pray that you'd receive the glory and honor from this and that you would capture someone's soul today who is still in the darkness, still following evil. And have their eyes set on you for the first time as the true Lord and Savior of their life. We thank you and praise you.
in Christ's name. Amen.